you'll join with me, our scripture reading for today is Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, and 15 through 17. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the word of God. Hey, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. I'm glad you made it. I just wanted to say briefly, this is the last Sunday in a long series on spiritual, on spiritual formation. So, and I just wanted to say, I, I'm really deeply grateful for how many of you have welcomed me kind of back here to the pulpit and hang out with you. Many of you have just welcomed me and been kind to me, um, and I've really deeply enjoyed just spending time with some of you, um, talking about life and, and uh, what God's doing in our lives, and just being able to teach. So thanks for welcoming me. Um, thanks for hanging out with me for a while. Um, I will be here next week to start our Advent season. I can't believe it is time to start Advent season already, but we'll be starting Advent season a series next week. Would you pray with me again? We'll get into the scripture this morning. God, thank you for your love that starts everything. And thank you for your grace towards us. And God, we are all in this place with different things in the back of our heads, different things that we're wrestling with, different joys and different pains. And I ask God that you would remind us of your love, that you would remind us that you are here, you are present with us, and that you've got us. Um, ask that you would speak to all of us, that your spirit would speak through these scriptures and ideas, God, that, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a long time ago in the 1500s, a man named Ignatius wrote something that I read a few weeks ago, um, but I was looking at it again, this little paragraph he wrote, and I, I really think it was inspired by Ephesians 3, 4, and 5, which we're going to look at this morning. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, so I hope you're kind of awake. But Ignatius wrote this a long time ago, and I think it really, really vibes with Ephesians. So Ignatius wrote this, The goal of our life is to live with God forever. God who loves us gave us life. Our own response of love allows God's life to flow into us without limit. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and I choose what better leads to the deepening of God's life in me. That God lives in us. God lives through us. God's grace starts it all. God's power is the one that does it through us. And can we invite God to continually live in us, live through us, mold us, shape us, grow us? Um, as we look at Ephesians this morning, I want to point out something that can feel like a tension in the Christian life. Um, especially if you've been in church a long time and been in different types of churches and theological backgrounds, um, there's two ideas that can feel like their intention, and those are on the screen, the, the grace of God and then a way of life. I think what, what Paul does masterfully in Ephesians is point out that these two things go together. 
But sometimes in the Christian life, we can feel like, okay, I'm either going to emphasize the grace of God, right? That I can sit in God's presence and be healed. That God does all the work. That it's all about God's love, God's grace, that I can become God's beloved child. And sometimes that can feel in tension with the idea of, and God has called us to a particular way of life. Like the Sermon on the Mount, spiritual disciplines, right? Like hard work with God. But I, I want to say, and, and you probably already know this, but these two things are integrated. Like they, they go together, like hand in hand, feeding off one another. A way of life as we know that we are God's beloved children, as we know that we are loved, as we know that we don't have to earn God's love, that inspires us to live a different kind of life, to walk in a new kind of way with God. Dallas Willard used to say, that grace is not opposed to effort, just to earning. So yes, the Christian life does involve some discipline, some effort, some hard choices of how we spend our time, but we do that knowing that we're not earning God's love, knowing that we're not earning God's love by our own effort, that God's love is already big and already good and is there for us. Whether or not we take on a new prayer practice this week, God's love for us does not change. And it does not grow more if we take on a new prayer practice that God might be calling us to. So we're going to do a quick tour of Ephesians. And like, are we awake this morning? Like, are we, can we give me, a, can you have like a head nod or something that we're awake? We're going to look at a whole bunch of Ephesians, like a big arc. And then we're going to stop and we're going to write some things down. So there's papers around you or if you have a journal, you can use it. But there's some, there's like, that is a very old school regeneration logo. Some of you might recognize the old school regen logo. We're going to look at Ephesians, and then we're going to stop and reflect and write some things down together, okay? So Ephesians, starting in chapter 3, we're going to look at some of 3, 4, and 5, starting in Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul writes in this very pastoral tone, like, may you, being rooted and grounded in love, have the strength to comprehend. So he points out, it takes a lot to even comprehend, to begin to comprehend this love of God. Would you have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, so like with all of us, what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. So we have to start here. And if, if you, and I say this hopefully with uh, invitation and grace, if you don't know the love, the grace of God, like you can't really start the journey. If you don't have a sense of the deep, deep love, grace, acceptance of God for you is very hard to start walking down this path. 
And that the greater sense we have of God's grace towards us, of God's love and a care towards us, with all our flaws, with all our mistakes, the greater sense we have of that love and grace, the easier it becomes to walk on a new path of life, to, to walk in new rhythms of life with God, to let God change us into a person who can live out the Sermon on the Mount with God's power. So moving on to Ephesians chapter 4. So Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is pointing out this journey needs to be done together, right? With other humans who love each other, forgive each other, who do this together, who walk together. He says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So early there, Paul starts using this word walk in this chapter a lot points out this deep love grace of God, and then Paul starts writing about how you walk in this life. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase, and Eugene Peterson wrote it like this, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. Again, Paul points out, like, let's start walking. There's a, there's a way to walk. You've been called. You know this. Now let's start walking in a new way. And as you do it, have some humility and patience, and, and you got to love each other to do this together, okay? you got to do it as one, as, as a community, as a, as a team. And then moving on to Ephesians 5, chapter 1. This is probably my favorite two-verse section of the Bible. I just, I just love, it's so, such a beautiful summary, um, really, of the good news of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this connection, as you know God's love, as you understand the sacrifice of Jesus, you imitate Jesus. Like, imitate that life of love. Imitate that life of sacrifice. And now you walk in love. Walk this path of love. And then down to Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully at how you walk, which is what we're going to do with some paper and pen in a few minutes. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time we've been given because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for it's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, 
Addressing one another, and here are some spiritual practices of worship together. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. And another practice, and giving thanks. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Another translation of verse 15 says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Paul says, you're so loved. Know that. Then you can start. But like, let's walk. Let's walk this life. And he said, but be really careful how you live. Be careful. Like, you're going to get tripped up. You're going to get tempted. It's going to be hard. So be careful how you live this life on earth. Be careful how you live. See, we all have ways that we live. Like, we have patterns of how we live. We have patterns and habits, right, and rhythms of how we live, each one of us. Right? We have certain places we go every day or certain places we stay every day. Right? Probably a certain time we get up. Probably a certain thing that we do first in the day. Right? Probably a certain place that you go and have to stay for a while. Or a certain place you have to take somebody else. Right? A certain thing that you eat or don't eat in the morning or think you should eat and eat something else in the morning. Certain coffee maybe you need or don't you know, have coffee. And then there's a rhythm to your day. Right? There is a way that you live every day. There is a way that you do a weekend. There is a way that you do the holidays, right? There, there is a way that you live your life. And it is very, very easy, and I would say maybe even particularly in modern American Christian culture, to go to church and to hear things, right? To hear things and to kind of judge it on, oh, I'll give the music, you know, I'll give the music a B plus and the preaching a C minus. You know, I'll give the building an A, you know, like I'll give, I was greeted well by other people, I'll give that a C, and then I go, and then I kind of go, right? And, I, and then I kind of just live life. Paul is saying, no, 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 be, be like how you live. Be careful how you live. How do you actually live, how do you actually live your, your days here on the earth? Think about it. Be careful about it. In the early 500s, this is just a quick little church history, the early 500s, Christians were trying to figure out how to live, and they had different ways they were trying to do it. And some people started like moving out to the desert to live together. Some people decided to stay in cities. Some people were being persecuted. And this guy, Benedict, was like, how do, how do I write down, like, how do we live, how do we live together and have like some structure to it? Like, what would that look like? So he, he wrote what became, he called it a rule of life. And it's not really a rule, it's more of a structure or like, like a pattern of how people could be together and have rhythms of like, how do we pray together with other people during the week? And he even has funny things about how do you eat together and, and how you are obedient to other people and how you live. And, and he wrote this quote, he said, that, that our way of acting should be different than the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. Like, how do we live knowing that the love of Christ comes before all else. So on the next slide, a rule of life is a means to an end. The, the idea or the end is to be with Jesus, to become like him and to do what Jesus did, or as Jesus put it, to, to abide in the vine, 
right? And to abide in the vine, to, to abide in God, and then to have God's power bear much fruit. So a, a rule of life in a simple way, this is a quote from Pete Scazzaro, a pastor from New York, and he said, a rule of life very simply is an intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. It provides guidelines to help us continually remember God as the source of our lives. It includes our unique combination of spiritual practices that provide structure and direction for us. I more often use the phrase rhythm of life. I think it's more inviting. And I think there's something about that idea of, of a rhythm, right? Your life has a rhythm. My life has a rhythm to how I do it and who I do it with. So I'm going to invite you at this point to grab a pen. This is going to be a little different sermon this morning. Some of you love that, and some of you might be freaked out that you're being asked to do something. But um, so there's, if you have a journal or something, that's awesome. If you have some sort of journal to write on, if you don't, there are papers with the old school Regen logo, which Stephanie, I'm really grateful for her taking care of that and putting those all over. So if you want to grab a piece of paper, I've got my, see, I got my Regen paper right here I'm going to use. I'm going to write down, okay? And I'm going to have a few different questions for you to reflect um, and to write some things down in the hopes that we can start to actually plan, kind of dream about, plan, have a vision for, like, what is the rhythm of life that God is inviting us into? I want to say a couple caveats as we start. This is not a way to impress God. So we're going to have a bunch of stuff. Some of your personalities are like, oh, i got to impress everybody and God by like how much cool stuff I write. It's, it's not about that. It's not a contest. And it's not actually about just putting a bunch of rules, but it's the idea that can we have some structure, some habits in our life that actually lead us to spending time with God and have actual interior freedom from knowing God's love. Okay? So we're going to have basically five questions. You might want to use the front page for it and then flip, but... Five initial questions and then get to some other details. Remember this quote, I want and I choose what better leads to the deepening of God's life in me. First question is, what practices, and I mean currently, lead you to the deepening of God's life in you? So if you were to consider your life with God, consider your life in general, what are some current practices, things you've done, and I put, just to be clear, there's individual rhythms and then there are communal rhythms rhythms. And we can't leave out the communal rhythms. Most of us kind of tend towards, oh, the individual practices of God, but, but also communal. And so can you start to think about what are things in my life now that I know like cause a deepening of God's life in me, where I can sense God. I, I feel more connected to God. And I see a lot of you writing now. That's, that's great. Go for it. I'm, I'm going to say a few things and give you a few more moments. So there are things that sound really cool and spiritual, like Lectio Divina, which is, which is sacred reading, just, just reading the text a couple times and letting God speak to us. There's our prayers, like the prayer of examine, or the Lord's Prayer, the Jesus Prayer. But I, I would also ask you to consider things that may not sound as cool to say in church, but may be the actual ways that God meets you. Like, I was at a class with a pastor who wrote a book about spiritual formation, and, he, and for him, surfing, like surfing is where he meets God again. You know, like out in nature, in God's presence, like that renews him with God. It might be a, a walk with your dog, right? Like it might be a dear friend you meet up with coffee. It could be different things, but can you pause and think right now, 
what are the, the things that you do sometimes in life that actually cause you to be connected to God, to sense God's spirit? It could be you're going to your home group. It could be going to church. It could be singing. It could be worship music. It could be a certain devotional book. But would you take a moment, if you already haven't, and consider what are the practices that I have had that I know are good for me, that I know is how I meet God, that I know is how I connect to God. I'm going to say one more thing, and you want to keep writing. There are some disciplines or rhythms that are pretty clear in Scripture, and that kind of most people would say, yeah, these are, these are pretty clear. We should all have some of these. Like there's prayer, solitude and silence, meditating on Scripture, worship with song and our voice, fasting, gathering with community, Sabbath, serving other people, um, and then sharing God's love with the world around us in, in word and action. So there are some things that are pretty clear, but then there are things that may be not, you know, it's not in Ephesians, but, you know, maybe a certain prayer app, which wasn't invented back then, like, is really life-giving for you, and it's where you meet God. So I'm going to give you just a few more moments, okay? Oh, you know what? And I'm going to do this with you. Almost forgot. Here we go. So as an example, on my sheet, I have a couple of prayer things, and then I have exercise. Like, I know if I exercise, that is a way that I slow down and become healthy, and I know my mind and body and heart are all connected, and I know that if I exercise, like, I'm a different person with God in that day. So I'm going to write that down along with some prayer things that sound cooler. Okay. So next thing, and this is connected, so you might want to write it separate, you might want to write it in the same and you, if you wrote a whole bunch of things down, you might be able, not be able to do part two with all of them. But part two is, when and how do you practice these things? And again, maybe just take your top, you know, two or three or four. But I want to get at the idea of, like, for me, prayer of examine is a deep way that I connect with God and God speaks to me. And I know that that's, like, at the end of my workday-ish, you know, when I come home, that's a time that I do that. It's not just random, it's at that time. But can you consider some of those things? When do they actually happen? Dallas Willard, in writing about formation, said something I think is funny and wise. He said, spontaneity is overrated. So spontaneous things are beautiful, right? And are how God works. But if we only rely on spontaneity in our formation, we're, we're going to miss out. So Give you a few moments to think about those practices and like what's the how, the when, the where of how you do those things, of how you practice those rhythms with God. Give you a few more moments.
in our modern society, the way that a lot of people keep practices is having an alarm on their phone. That is one way for many of us, it's like, oh, how am I going to pray at noon every day? Well, I, you know, I have this thing I lug around and it, it can tell me, remind me to spend five minutes praying at noon. So that's one way of getting the how down. Okay, moving on. This is going to be a little different. Part three, what are some practices or ways that you live that lead you away from God's presence? What are some parts of your life that distract you from God or it feels like it leads you away from God's presence? And these could be like a certain temptation, a certain thing you interact with. It could be a certain place you go or, or a person you hang out with, but it could just be a, like a certain habit that you run into that you know isn't helpful for you if you're honest with your life with God. Just to give you an idea, I, I shared this early on in the series. I have this shadow side that wants to look at Christian leaders I disagree with and think are heretics and stalk them on Instagram. And think about writing a snarky comment and then not. And then think about it again and think of it, if, there, if there is any godly way to do it. And then I, I spin into a ball of anxiety. And it's, I know, I know it is not helpful. Like when I sit with God and I'm honest, I know spinning on social media, reading comment sections is not helpful for certain people. So I don't know what your version of that is. But you, can you consider what are, what are the moments in life or the parts of life where you know it's not helpful for your soul for your connection with God. If you want to write in code, go for it. Okay, so in some of these, if you start thinking about it, you, you may think about this later. But part four, are there any new rhythms that you think God may be inviting you into? Maybe something you tried a long time ago, a certain way to pray or a certain practice, certain celebration, a certain prayer retreat that you have heard of or thought about, but it isn't something you do, but you're like, you know what, that idea of praying the Psalms or, you know, that idea of prayer of examine or that idea of serving with my family at the church somehow in some way, like, I've thought about that, that idea for a while and I'd, I'd like to try it. I think it might be what God's inviting me to. So is there something new or different that you sense God might be inviting you into? Okay, and the fifth question, this is the last question for the side of the page, is really important. Who is on the journey with you? you know, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, without counsel, plans go wrong, but with many advisors, they succeed. So part five, question five, the last one, who is on the journey with you? If you forgive me a sports analogy, like Christianity is not an individual sport. It's not tennis or golf. 
It's basketball or soccer or something, right? Like, we need other people. You can't do it by yourself. So who is on the journey with you? Maybe different levels to that, but it's an important question for us to pause and ask. Who's on your team? Who is encouraging you? And who do you encourage towards love and good deeds, as the Bible says? But can you really pause and consider that? Who is on this with you? Okay, so now I'm going to ask you to flip the paper, or maybe you write small, you can use one, but kind of a next, that was like first half, here's second half. On the next slide, I want you to think about it this way. So it might be taking some of that same content and rewriting it, but think about daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, monthly rhythms, and seasonal rhythms. So just go ahead and however you want on your page, some of you probably write in a way that's beautiful and not like my little scratches, but what is a daily rhythm for you? Or what could a daily rhythm be like of integrating a couple practices into your day? So I'm going to let you kind of start writing and thinking. I'm going to say a few things while you do that. But I think daily rhythms, you, you probably have some ideas around a daily rhythm. Like think about your morning, think about your midday, think about your evening. I would also invite you to think about it as, the, you know, there are, um, there are some Christian leaders that like to say how they pray three hours a day. There's a few actually, and, and that's beautiful. That's wonderful. And there are people in monasteries that pray all day, you know, every third hour, and that's beautiful. You can stop and pray for a few moments or a few minutes and connect to God in a way that could change your day. So you might not have a three-hour lunch break to pray, but you might be able to get a five-minute space to, to stop in your day and reconnect and recalibrate your day to God. Um, on the weekly rhythms, I would strongly suggest considering what Sabbath looks like for you. I think it's probably one of the most underrated or underpracticed commands and rhythms in the scriptures is, is to take a Sabbath day and stop producing anything to stop and to rest and be with God um, one day a week. It's what God taught us. It's what God has shown us of how to have a healthy life. For me, I meet with a spiritual director once a month, not once a week, but once a month. And some people try to take maybe like an extended time with God once a month, like a few hours or a couple hours away with God, you know, once a month or in a season. As you write some of these things down, I want you to also consider your season of life and your stage of discipleship. I think about even folks in this church I've spoken to who have, have a little one or two little ones. And the reality is in different seasons of life, your life is different. Your life has certain demands. So I don't want you know, a, a mother of two or three tiny children to think that they need to take on 10 new practices. That would probably not be wise. There are seasons of life we're in that allow us different things, allow us different freedom, allow us different rhythms. And some of you may have been a Christian for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years and have been practicing and learning. Some of you may be new to Christianity or Jesus or new to the idea of having rhythms in your life and you might want to start really gently 
and kind of gracefully with yourself to say, what's a thing or two I can add to my day and my week to point my head and my heart back to my creator during the week? And on the next slide, give yourself some grace as you write these things down. Again, like we have different personalities that God's given us. I'll share with you my personality. I know that if I was sitting where you're sitting, I would be filling this up in some attempt to impress God and the people around me and writing like, oh, I need to do this prayer, this prayer. And then at some point I would go, that probably wasn't wise. I probably just could have taken a couple things and tried to integrate those first. So give yourself some grace. Adding 20 things to your rhythm of life or rule of life is probably, probably going to be difficult and might just lead you to frustration. But what are a couple things you could add to your rhythm in a real way to point you back to God's presence? I think most of you are done writing just a couple of closing thoughts. And I've said this many times, and Paul says this in many different ways. But I want to say it again. And I think and one of our elders, Nathan Brocker, said this when he preached a few weeks ago. We need one another for this. Can I get an amen? amen. Like, like we need one another to walk in the ways of Jesus. And some of you have some good friends or a great home group that, that you are journeying with. Some of you maybe have a couple friends. But I would urge you to consider the way Paul says it over and over again, the way Jesus had his crew of disciples who did this together, and he sent them out in little groups, that to take this as a strong encouragement challenge, you need some people with you. And is there somebody that maybe you could be walking with that, that you've left out? Maybe there's somebody who's invited you to walk with them and you haven't made space. Maybe it was going to take some discipline to pursue certain friendships or community in your life, but I urge you, like we need some people on our team to follow the ways of Jesus together. And I want to also say in closing that the idea of writing down rhythms of life, the end is not having a cool list of things you do, but the goal is to live a with God kind of life. The goal is to live life on the vine connected to God's spirit. The goal is to be able to walk more closely with God where, where we can sense the nudges of the spirit, nudging us here, nudging us there, like living in us, speaking to us, guiding our thoughts, guiding our conversations, guiding how we interact with people in our day, like nudging us away from certain temptations and nudging us towards God, towards freedom, towards peace. The goal is life with God, not a cool list but some structure can help us live a life with God. On the next slide, I'm going to read this quote one more time. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and I choose what better leads to the deepening of God's life in me. So would, would you have the courage, the determination, the strength to pursue what better leads to the deepening of God's life in you, in your day, in your week, in your month. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to enter communion shortly. God, I, I ask that your spirit would nudge all of us. 
that you would speak to us even now as, as we have some jumbled notes or maybe don't have much notes, that your spirit would even nudge us in this moment. That, that your spirit would remind us of something, lead us to something, God. And it may look differently for all of us, God, but I ask that we could hear your voice. We could hear your gentle nudge towards how to live our life a little more with you. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you, God, for our grace. Thank you for mercy. And thank you that you are present and you are real and you are speaking to us and you are active, God. May us just be able to hear you and follow you a little more closely and to know your love a little more. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to enter into a time of communion and I think most of you already have these. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, and I think Stephanie has some. If you don't, if you need some, the communion elements, Stephanie's in the back. You can raise your hand. Yeah, she's coming around. But as we prepare for communion, I actually want to read that same verse from Ephesians that talks about the sacrifice of Jesus. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So let us remember that this little thing right here, this represents the sacrifice of Jesus out of love for us. This also represents the way that God is calling us to live, a life of love as Jesus lived, who sacrificed himself for us out of love. So this juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us out of love. And this cracker or wafer represents the body of Christ that was broken for us out of love. So I want to ask you just to hold on to this and, and whenever you're ready to take this communion on your own as we begin to worship. And, but that you would just stop and consider this sacrifice of Jesus for you and for me and for all of us. And can we pause and really be grateful and honor and respect what Jesus has done for us?